You're listening to the Teaching Matters podcast, brought to you by the University of Edinburgh and part of the Teaching Matters blog. Teaching Matters brings together students and staff in conversation, debate, and celebration of learning and teaching in higher education. Feel free to share your comments with us, either directly on the blog or email us at teachingmatters at ed.ac.uk. You can listen and subscribe to the Teaching Matters podcast at Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and music is provided by Hook Sounds. Consent means with your senses. It's about being embodied. And so when something happens to us that is out of our consent, we feel it. Consent is a term that gets thrown around a lot, to the extent that we sometimes lose sight of its true meaning. What does consent truly mean? Is it a tick box exercise? An interpersonal skill? What does consent have to do with embodiment, healing, trauma, and having choices? In today's episode of the Teaching Matters podcast, Dr. Nina Burroughs, a psychologist, walks us through the radical meaning of consent, departing from its linguistic root. Dr. Burroughs is the founder of the Consent Collective an organization that helps communities and people navigate the sexual violence terrain. The Consent Collective works closely with universities and other institutions by supporting conversations around consent, gender, sexual harassment, and relationships. It's our job to bring an expert voice to those conversations, to create spaces where we can really get into the material and get quite nuanced and sophisticated. And also to just create quite engaging conversations because we need everybody to get involved in this. So we need lots of different ways to talk about it. University of Edinburgh was one of the first universities that we worked with. This has been a really good relationship and a, a growing one. I think it, it shows that when you're doing work on these, you know, these big, difficult topic areas, mm. it, it really is a journey and we're seeing that with the University of Edinburgh, every year we get a bigger following. Every year we're building new relationships, we're getting to know the university better. And that's really good, not just for the university and for us, but of course we can take that learning to our working relationships outside of the university as well. In this first episode of our hour-long conversation with Dr. Burroughs, we will explore how thinking about consent as an embodied practice opens up new possibilities for engaging in our teaching and learning spaces with respect, inclusivity, and non-violence. The thing with consent is, is one of those words that we've lost along the way. So if we, if we take the word back to its roots, to its Latin roots, consent means with your senses. Mm. It's, it's about being embodied. And so when something happens to us, that is out of our consent, we feel it. So if we take a simple example, if you're in a restaurant and you're eating your meal and a stranger comes along and they steal a chip from your plate and they eat it, lots of things are gonna happen, but the first thing that happens is you're gonna have a very embodied response. The shock, the violation, the boundary that's been broken, that's, that's a consent violation right there. It's with your senses, you will respond to just what happened. I think the challenge with uh, doing consent work in um, our modern world is that we have a very disembodied world. We don't do stuff with our bodies. We think it's all in our heads and not even all of our brain, just the left side. And so 
the first stumbling block is that we live in a world where consent has become a tick box exercise, like literally, you know, when you get a, a software up, update and you have to agree to the terms and conditions, mm -hmm. you don't even read them. You just scroll on down and it's not like you can write a letter to Apple saying, dear Apple, I agree to this, this and this, but actually I don't want that one. Like it's completely non-consensual. So we've, we've got this strange understanding of what consent is. So often things are happening to us without our consent. And then when we talk about consent, often it's, it's really about people, am, am I covered? You know, can you sue me? Um, will, you, will you write away your right to contest what is happening here? That, that's not consent. Mm -hmm. Consent at its roots is about our bodies. And we, we know that when our consent is violated, we need to start to learn how to do that when we're, when we're looking for consensual encounters with people. This idea of disembodied living rings particularly true in the world of academia, where Cartesian reason rules over embodied forms of knowledge making. And living and working during a pandemic only aggravates this disconnection between mind and body, as we have to literally shield our bodies from each other for the sake of our communities. So how do we foster consensual dynamics in online classrooms? How often are you invited to bring your body into the classroom? Whether that's an online classroom or a real world one. The, the, the beautiful thing about consent work and you know, one of the things why I find it endlessly fascinating and interesting is when we start to think with our bodies, like really that's the biggest depths of ourselves. Like mm -hmm. just in, even in terms of, we've got this idea that it's all about information and, and this very left brain centric way of doing things. But actually when we understand genuinely what is happening, like our amazing bodies are processing 11 million bits mm -hmm. of information per second, 11 million bits <laughs> per second. And we are consciously aware of about six to 50 mm. tops. So what we are consciously aware of is the tiniest fraction of what is happening, what our bodies are picking up on. So if we could start to tap into our embodied selves, that's, that's, the, big, that's the big part of us. And I think also when we start to think about bodies and consent, I think unfortunately, a lot of conversations that are about sexual harassment or maybe race or maybe transphobia, they become conversations about morals, about mm -hmm. being a good person and about having the right answers to questions when you are asked them, like, you know, the right information. But actually, this is also really a conversation about bodies, which bodies are safe, which bodies are recognized in this space. How do we teach in a way where everybody's body can engage in the content, can feel safe enough in this space to be truly present. So consent really for me is, is at the root of so many things that we struggle with. And when we get interested in what that means in terms of our bodies, then we're really on an interesting ride. It would be so useful for us as a society to have a big moment, a big conversation about healing. There's a reason why we're not in our bodies we live and have been raised in a society that offers us distraction on distraction and then pressure to perform and is constantly measuring us on productivity and attainment 
it'd be quite uncomfortable to be in that body that's under all that stress. I think a big part of this is, is a healing conversation is um, how can we gently ease into our bodies and be able to hear all that noise and, and have a different relationship with it. I also think that that healing conversation is a big part of how do we prevent these awful things from happening in the first mm. place. You know, a, a person who is in a healthy space, in a growthful space, who's in touch with their bodies, who feels connected to others, has absolutely no reason to cause harm. Mm. Um, in fact, it would be damaging to them to harm others. That's what that would be their experience. So he healing is a massive piece of this. And I, and this is where education again comes in for me. I think education and healing go hand in hand. When we learn about stuff, it is possible for that learning experience to be part of our healing process. As well as the flip side of that is, you know, if I'm sitting in your classroom and I'm sitting there holding trauma, I am not going to be able to concentrate on what you're saying. You know, mm. literally my body is, is hypervigilant or it, it, it's, I've gone into immobilized, kind of withdrawn. Mm -hmm. So the, the students in these spaces that are, you know, that they're struggling or they're causing problems because that's another great thing to do. If you're, if you're hypervigilant, you can act out, but there's, there's, you know, there's a healing conversation to be had there in terms of how do you help people have, have an education because you need to feel safe and grounded in order to connect with any experience in order to be creative and the rest of it. You know, what is education if it isn't helping us be and grow and be, you know, the better versions of ourselves? You don't, you don't have to be learning psychology to, to do that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm deeply curious about how people, educators in particular, might think about bodies, the bodies in their room, the classrooms, their own body, of course, and how we can make our spaces more embodied. Making our spaces more embodied is also a productive way to approach the complex terrain of trauma in the classroom. This is a pedagogical approach referred to as trauma-informed teaching. Trauma is something that we all need to have a better handle on, not just because we've all gone through, continuing to go through this global pandemic that at the very least has meant that we've all had to adapt to a change and we've been holding a bit more stress than normal. Like, you know, for a lot of people, they're now living with quite complex grief and it's maybe evoked other issues that they're struggling with. So I think trauma to me is, it needs to be the next big mental health conversation. But, but when I say that, I, I don't mean, and therefore relegated to, the mental health, you know, like student welfare kind of support services. We need to recognize that it needs to be embedded in everything we do, which means it absolutely needs to be embedded into how we teach. And, and it needs to be part of how do we provide a rich educational experience at this university? How do we help people? You know, you can see university is almost a, a rite of passage into into adulthood for, for some people and if that person that we're providing that service to or that experience to is arrives here with an existing trauma our job your job our collective job is is to help that person learn with their trauma grow with their trauma there's there's and there's there's so much we can do like it's i think sometimes part of the 
you know, when my work is heartbreaking, it's, it's the simplicity of what some people need that can make such a big difference. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, they're starved for it currently because we're not thinking about this. And so I guess the invitation for educators is to really think about, you know, trauma is already in the room. We just need to open our eyes to it. So it's not about, oh, my God, we're going to suddenly bring trauma into the room. I can assure you it's there. And actually, the, the place I would start is with those educators. I mean, wowzers, what kind of a year has everybody had? So I, I feel like we all need just like this giant check in and a bit of a group hug where appropriate, because that was not just any old year. And a lot of people were already holding a lot of stress. If I was in, you know, held responsibility within an educational environment right now, I'd be really thinking about the staff. And when we talk about trauma-informed teaching, for me, a really bad outcome would be that members of staff are like, oh my goodness, that's another thing I have to do now. That's not what I mean at all. I mean to have a conversation that's going to help you in your role as an educator and help you in your own healing journey too, because your body is also in that room. And the more that you're able to be present and be with the material and be with the people that you're with, like the better for you, the more enriching for you. To get trauma into the room, it's already there. I think it, we, we just need to get to this, the, this, the kind of space where people are comfortable with that fact, you know, that they, they feel grounded and, and, and safe with that. For me, I guess the only way that can really happen is if people decide that they want to go on quite a personal journey with the material first. There are some, you know, if we want to have a very different conversation, you know, there are some simple things you can do that sound more tick boxy. Would it be too weird to invite students to just get into their bodies before you start your material? Would that be too desperately uncomfortable? Perhaps if you teach psychology or gender studies or, you know, drama, something like that, maybe that feels fine. But maybe if you teach history, you'd be like, no, that's too weird. I can't do it. But, you know, the invitation is there to invite people to get into their bodies, to talk about what are we as a community, as a group going to do when we feel uncomfortable with the material or each other? Can we, can we, I know you'll have guidelines as a university, but how can you make it real in the room? Can you break down the material, like, especially with online learning, like if the shift has been a 90 minute lecture is now a 90 minute, you know, teams meeting. Yeah, break, you need to really break that stuff down, uh, you know, to go with people, how people are able to concentrate. And I think another way in which trauma can come into the, the spaces is, you know, with certain assignments, you know, give people choice. Like that's, you make some a space consensual when people have free choice to engage or not, because then they are in control. It isn't consensual if you insist that I work with that person over there and we have one option in terms of what we're going to do together. There's no consent in that. So give me as much choice as I can. Give me a genuine opt-out. I think if you're teaching studies that are maybe more obviously triggering, have content that is about sexual harm or that is about uh, racial oppression, you know, where those, those, those harms are very clearly part of the content because you're doing gender studies or because um, you're doing contemporary politics or, or you're, or you're teaching something where people will often draw on their own life experiences and life stories, then you really need to go a lot further and think about, okay, this material is going to be triggering. So how are we going to, you know, think about that? And a simple thing can be, you know, if you're having to 
give examine you know do an examination don't have a vignette with a uh, with triggering material in there like you know, have options so that your poor student who wants to do well doesn't have to sit with read and write about something that they find really triggering as as part of their assessment give them four choices and let them give that one a wide berth understanding consent as a practice means learning to notice noticing how we interact with others noticing how we pose or formulate questions in a classroom or being aware of how our bodies react and feel in certain situations. The Consent Collective offers multiple resources that are aimed at students and educators who are interested in developing the skill of relating to others with consent. So every student and member of staff at the University of Edinburgh has access to what we call Consent Collective TV, mm -hmm. which is hosted on our website, which is um, a catalogue of video content ranging from academic guest lectures that focus on consent when it comes to the law or safeguarding or indeed education, therapy, but then also really short films, you know, what is consent and my flatmate is acting strange and they're annoying everybody, what should I do about it? Um, videos on you know, supportive videos if, if you've experienced sexual harassment or, or, or sexual harm outside of the university context. And we've got everything from like cooking shows where we, we go in depth, um, we, you know, we make something and we, we um, really get into the material as well. And we have our podcast game show, How To Be Good In Bed, uh, the latest episode of which we recorded with the University of Edinburgh and is waiting for you to listen to <laughs> online. You know, com these conversations, they're big and they're important and they're meaningful. They can be poignant, but they can also be fun and high energy as well. And a game show is a really great way to kind of explore all of those different energies. <laughs>